Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, but, well, enough about that. Slightly strange community update. I received a letter today and it was stamped and had my address handwritten, but didn't have any kind of postmark or stamp on it, which is slightly odd, or maybe that's been washed off in the post. And the handwriting definitely seemed familiar, but I couldn't quite place where it was from. So that was a little bit strange. So if one of you listeners has somehow tracked down my address and sent me post, uh, thank you, but slightly strange. And I thought what I'd do is just quickly read out the letter, because maybe that would, well, you'll hear it and you'll see. So uh, here we go. To whom it may concern, uh, which is slightly strange because you you think it was aimed at me. You don't know me. Maybe that's for the best. There's something you should know, you will know. But for now, perhaps it's simpler to think of me as a correspondent. I can't write for long. Trust me on this, which I think is kind of strange given that, well, you know, have no idea who this person is. But I'll write again. For now, bear me in your thoughts. So, oh, and it's not signed. And obviously the first thing I did was look to the end of it to see who it's from. Kind of weird, right? Sort of strange. So, uh, mystery post person, make yourself known. That would be great. Thank you. Okay, but hello. Back to the normal schedule of things on Drawn to the Flame. This is a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the card game, and this episode is going to be one of my first look episodes. If you're new to the podcast, allow me a moment to explain to you what my first looks are. If you're a seasoned listener of the podcast, one of the original pros, bear with me a second. Back in the first cycle of this game, in the Dunwich Legacy cycle, someone received the first Mythos Pack Miskatonic Museum, but it accidentally had the player cards from the sixth Mythos pack, Lost in Time and Space. And it was in French, so I think it was just a printing error for the French distributor or something like that. But obviously they went up on the internet, people translated them, and there was this uh, great excitement about knowing what cards we'd be getting at the end of the cycle because they were all high XP cards and it was, you know, really wonderful. Except it wasn't that wonderful because it was all of these cards that we then couldn't play with And the excitement of getting the last pack, the finale of an entire campaign, was kind of taken away from us, or we'd optionally taken it away from ourselves by choosing to look at those spoilers, because we then knew what was going to happen at the end. We knew what the big XP cards to save up for were and things like that. It was a bit of a letdown. It was like, you know, you get to that pack, but you already sort of know what's in there. And of course... One of the things I love about doing this podcast and about thinking about Arkham Horror cards is that actually there's no alternative to playing with the cards and really finding out if they're good or not. So all the people who knew about those cards way ahead of time but hadn't actually sat down and played them and thought about played with them and thought about them, you know, there was still that to come. But definitely there was this feeling of a bit of disappointment, certainly for me, not for everyone. And then the entirety of the Path to Carcosa deluxe expansion box was also leaked onto the internet. That was also this moment where I at least spent time thinking, do I really want to look at this? And this is something that's not going to come out for at least six months. And is it is it really worth looking at? Anyway, my feeling is that people love to see things ahead of time and people enjoy sharing with each other cards that they're about to get. 
and I really don't want to condemn that at all, but also for a game like Arkham Horror that has so much excitement in it to do with discovering things that are unknown, those two incidents prompted me to think, maybe I should try and go without. And I've been doing it really ever since, and really enjoying it. And what I decided to start doing was recording my first impressions of cards, my my unboxing of a pack for the community. The other thing I should add as well is that I saw Sean from Mythos Busters. Blood Feud is still going on, despite me crediting him with this comment. You know, don't be don't be dismayed about that. But I saw him say that there's also, if your first look at the cards is when you have them in your hand, the length of time between seeing the cards for the first time and playing with the cards for the first time is really diminished. And that's a really good thing, that you have the pack, you look at them, you go, oh my goodness, I love these cards. And then it's not like, oh, and when's this pack out? Oh, two months time. Okay, well, I'll think about those cards until that point, but I won't actually play with them. Obviously, some people like lots of time to think about the cards, so I'm not poo-pooing them. But I'm definitely subscribed to Sean's view of I like to see the cards for the first time and then jump in and play with them as soon as I can. So that's really what started my trying to stay spoiler free. I'm happy reading FFG articles. I have no problem with the sort of officially announced um, marketing materials. I think that's great. They're normally really interestingly written and hint at things, hint at maybe themes within packs. I don't mind that. But I think uh, the, the sort of 48 hours before a pack comes out, the rush to get the images up on image sharing site. I'm, I'm not that bothered about. This cycle, what can we expect? Well, the amazing thing was in the Dunwich unboxings in the first looks, I kind of knew to a certain extent once we'd seen a couple of packs what the pattern for the packs might be. And here I have really no clue. We know about the patrons coming up later in the cycle and we know that some... Corset cards are getting higher XP versions later in the cycle, but beyond that, I really don't know too much what to expect. And the two big themes of Carcosa, I think, have been horror and dealing with horror and, and whether you even want to try and deal with horror, and intellect icons and playing with intellect and having various ways of dealing with certain enemies that aren't necessarily to do with just knocking them over the head. Here's looking at you, Poltergeist. That'll be really interesting to see if those things get fleshed out in this cycle. And as for this pack, well, I suppose this should be the real spoiler warning. In this episode, I will be talking about the player cards of Echoes of the Past. Echoes of the Past. Echoes of the Past. Echoes. So if you, for some reason, don't want to know about them or haven't seen them yet, which is absolutely fine, then I'm about to talk about them now. But also, if you're one of those people who's got your pack in front of you and you're about to tear it open and flip it open, uh, flip it over and look at it, well, I suppose let's do this. Oh, and I should say before we begin, my thoughts are not meant to be the be-all and end-all conclusive analysis that sums up every possible use for a card in perpetuity. Instead, they're just my reactions. And I'll try and think of interesting things to say on the fly, but if I can't think of anything, we'll move on. And that actually raises a really interesting other point that Peter made to me, which is that we're now reaching the point in this game where deck building is built around individual investigators rather than individual factions. So now if you build a Sephina deck or a Schizo tool deck, they not just because they can use different player cards, but because of the roles those two investigators might fulfill within a party are now so different, and there are enough cards that you can really lean into having a specific role for them. What we're probably going to see is that you can't just look at, say, 
a mystic card and go, well, this is great in all mystics. It might be that it's great in a damage-dealing Agnes deck, but that a sort of support gym doesn't want to take it. I know that sounds rather obvious that, you know, different roles wouldn't take certain cards. But I think now we've really reached that point where bearing in mind all the possible people who can take a card is somewhat harder than it used to be. 16 investigators of whom at least seven or eight, I think, can take any given card means, you know, nine, Lola, can take any given card means it's, yeah, there's quite a lot to sort of bear in mind. So yeah, well, enough preamble. I hope you're sitting comfortably. Let's flip open this pile of cards and begin. The first card is amazing. Heroic Rescue. This is a one-cost event, It's spirit and tactic traited, two of my favourite traits. It has willpower and combat icons, and it has a woman in a white dress who looks a little bit like Jenny, but really taking some sort of tentacle beasts to task. Wow. Cynthia Shepard, first art in a Mythos pack for Echoes of the Past. Sweet. Okay, so what does it do? It's fast. Peter will love this card. Play when a non-elite enemy would attack another investigator at your location. Engage that enemy and resolve its attack against you instead, then deal it one damage. Wow. Wicked card. It's sort of a taunt, but also a dodge, squeezed into one with a retaliation. I suppose you could play this and then play a dodge if you wanted to, but you can play a dodge on someone else anyway. That would be a way of getting that final point of damage on a tricksy enemy. Wow, really interesting. Just immediately makes me think that there there might be times when you end up with enemies on you at the wrong time you didn't expect them to turn up. Say someone's just walked into a location that's revealed an enemy and it's engaged and they've gone in as their last action. You can go in after them and pull the enemy off them. It also just sets up so much play for passing enemies around in one way or another. Okay, really interesting first card. Does it matter that they get to hit you? I suppose if it's anything like mobsters in Dunwich or any of the thing, the enemies that hit for quite a lot of damage but not a lot of horror, all of our Guardian investigators are kind of cool with taking the, the damage hits. Maybe someone like Yorick wants this as well. If he's dedicatedly recycling leather coats, this is another way that he can kind of ping enemies for damage. If it's a small enemy, he kills it and then he gets to replay the leather coat. Cool. Okay, card one. Oh, and I should add as well, I'm expecting the cards to be uh, a level zero card for each faction and a, probably a level one. I think the composure is a level one. Let's find out. Damn. Wow. The art comparatively is bananas. This RJ Palmer also smashing it out of the gate. It's another person with a gun. It looks like a sort of Luger style gun. This is combat training. A one cost, one XP asset. It's talent and composure traded. So this is our first composure. And it has combat and agility icons. Fast. Also great. Limit one composure in play. So you can only play one of these in your play area. Obviously, all the investigators could have one. It's not group limit one composure in play. It's just limit. Non-direct horror must be assigned to combat training before it can be assigned to your investigator card. And... It has no health value and a one sanity value. And then there's free trigger spender resource, you get plus one combat. And free trigger spender resource, you get plus one agility for this skill test. 
Wow, looks great. The composure that was officially announced was Plucky, which is the Survivor one. And I think it was Will and Intellect that it boosted. And it was exactly the same templating as this. One cost fast asset, only one XP, one in debt, one in play at a time, and horror gets rid of it. Obviously, if you're taking non-direct horror and you decide to assign it to another asset in play, a Brother's Avia, say... It doesn't have to go on combat training. It just has to go on combat training if you were thinking about putting it on your investigator card themselves. So if you can set yourself up with some other horror soak, that would be great. But interestingly about this, Keen Eye, the permanent talent for Guardians, boosts intellect and combat. You pay two and you get plus one for the rest of the phase. And combat training boosts combat and agility. Physical training boosts willpower. So Guardians can now boost all four statistics, but all three of their boosters boost combat, which is, I suppose, exactly what you want from your Guardian. If this boosted willpower and agility to fill out around what Keen Eye boosts, that could be really disappointing. But yeah, this means they get the willpower boost at no XP cost, they get agility boost at 1 XP cost, and they get intellect at 3 XP, which is interesting. I'm really intrigued by the composures. I think they'll be really fun to play with. I love the fact that they're fast. You can just sling it down. The fact that they only cost 1 rather than costing 2, like the core set skill boosting talents, is really cool because it's barely an investment at all. You can have them sitting in your hand until you need to think about playing them. There have also been times when I've played scenarios where, for whatever reason, I've ended up with quite a lot of resources, probably from me playing poorly and not having things to spend resources on. And at that point, you wish, almost whatever investigator you've played as, you wish you had something that you could turn resources into successes in tests. So having options in your deck where you say, I'm going to just play this at some point if I need it, and I can then dump my 10 resources into passing tests is great. You also think about say, Jenny Barnes. She loves Streetwise, but Streetwise isn't going to necessarily help her land all the shots with her twin 45s. And at that point, you want some kind of combat boost, whether that's hard knocks or physical training. And we'll see what the road composure is. The next card. Uh, Can you hear that I'm grinning? Because so far, all of these cards have been amazing. Stephen Summers competing with the two Guardian cards to just smash it out of the gate. This is the first Seeker card. It looks amazing. It is a one-cost event called Anatomical Diagrams. It's insight-traded. It has willpower and combat icons. Another all-two icons so far. Fast. Play during any investigator's turn. Play only if you have five or more remaining sanity. Five or more. So Roland has to be squeaky clean if he's taking this. Choose a non-elite enemy at your location. Until the end of the active investigator's turn, that enemy gets minus two fight and minus two evade. They are just animals like any other, or so we thought. Ooh, is that a Bayaki with its wings in the diagram? Or is it something else? Bayakis do feed on people's sanity, don't they? Okay, uh, I've got to have some actual thoughts about this. I like how this could feed into Seeker Support as an option. You can sling it down, pay one, and you reduce the fight and the evade. It's always better to reduce than it is to boost, because 
particularly on higher difficulties when you're getting really big negatives. If you can get a test difficulty down to zero, all of those negatives don't matter too much apart from the tentacle. So that's that's one thing to consider. It doesn't take you an action to play this either, so you're not investing much, you're investing a, a paltry resource. I suppose, are there any particular enemies that really would pay to being reduced? Now I'm obviously thinking back to Dunwich Legacy and the Broods dropping their fight and evade down is kind of super important. I suppose the Royal Emissary is not too hard and wouldn't mind. He might be elite, actually. He, it. It might be elite. I'd have to check that. I've not studied the Mycarcosum cards enough to know. And I'm immediately then thinking about bystanders as well, but I'm, hmm, I think they're all elite as well because they're all named. Anyway, yeah, interesting card. A sort of interesting flex slot. I can imagine this being a keep it in a deck as a possible option. The other thing I can think about this with is that sometimes Daisy is not set up to fight yet, particularly solo, and you end up with an enemy that you really don't want to deal with. You can't muscle your way out. And at that point, you want some way of evading them. And I've sometimes taken evasion tests with Daisy where you're chucking in three cards just to get to a reasonable evasion point. And with this, you could just play it. If it takes their evade value down to zero or one, you could then test and you're not at too great a risk that you're really expending too many resources on that test. It's like, okay, I pay one and then I'm 2v0 and I'll test that maybe twice, hoping to pass, and if I pass, I'll move on. So yeah, interesting. Seems like we've got Heroic Rescue that's about manipulating non-elite enemies, and now we've got Anatomical Diagrams. Maybe that's going to be a small theme for this pack. The next card is the Seeker Composure, and it's called Scientific Theory, a one-cost, one-XP asset. It has intellect and combat icons, talent, composure, it's fast, it's limit one composure and play. Non-direct horror must be assigned to scientific theory before it can be assigned to your investigator card. It's got the same two free triggers and it's got the one sanity, but the free triggers boost intellect and combat. Wow, who wants to boost combat? Daisy probably doesn't want to boost her combat. Rex running a fire axe, maybe? Or Min running a fire axe or a baseball bat, maybe? Do any of them want to boost their intellect? I suppose sometimes there are times Seekers can run more resource-rich, like particularly the Min I've been running recently doesn't even run Emergency Cash, and she's just two or three cards and she's set up, you know, sim simple. And at which point then all your resources are just kind of there for the fun of it. So yeah, that could be good. But then Roland can also take up to level two Seeker cards, and Roland solo boosting intellect and combat seems really nice. If he paired this with combat training, he could have, potentially have four cards that boost his combat and one that also boosts his agility and, and the other that boosts his intellect. Not sure about that. Guardians, you know, weapons and allies can be on the pricier side, so maybe, maybe not. But yeah, nice. Interesting. Are there any other combat tests? I suppose if you're playing Seeker solo and you really want to get through a locked door, none of the Seekers have particularly high agility or combat, and paying one and then chucking in three, four, five resources to break a locked door at a push may be useful. Okay, let's move on from there and, and see how we get on. Next card is a rogue card, and it is called Knuckle Duster. John Pacer has done a great job here. There's three shot glasses and some kind of bottle of liquor, 
and a knuckle duster. It has a single solitary combat icon. Wow, we've gone through four cards already and they've all had dual icons. This is a single combat icon. It takes a hand slot and the flavour text is up close and personal, just the way Naomi liked it. Wow, shout back to uh, Darnitch Legacy with Naomi and her crew. This is item, weapon, melee and illicit traded. So like Switchblade. Action, fight. This attack deals plus one damage. The attacked enemy gains retaliate for this attack. Wow, you're sort of almost taunting enemies, not the card taunts, just actual taunt by running up and trying to punch them in the face. Eek. Plus one damage, a two cost card that gives you plus plus one damage. I mean, I think that's about as cheap as you can get. Switchblade is one cost, but you have to succeed by two. Interesting. No combat boost isn't ideal, but if we ever see a high combat rogue, maybe they want this card. It's also item traded, which means Joey the Rat can bring it in for one cost, which isn't too bad. And it's item traded, which means a slate of hand can bring it in as well. So there's some sort of rogue shenanigans about flicking out your knuckle duster then. I suppose the, the natural home for this is Schizo Tool, right? I can't imagine you playing it in Wendy and trying to land the, the plus one damage with your one combat. But Skids with some combat boosts, maybe with combat training to boost his combat up. That could be meaty-ish. The question is, do you really want to add retaliate to an enemy rather than not having retaliate? And you're always going to run the risk of pulling tentacles or pulling a high negative number or low negative number that means that you fail at which case you're opening yourself up to more punishment what does the knuckle duster give you beyond being cheap that you wouldn't get from running either a cheaper weapon like knife it's just the damage isn't it that's all i can think of you're saying i want a cheap card that i can maybe trick out in various ways maybe you're getting your combat boost from hired muscle or something that doesn't seem necessarily the most efficient way of doing it okay Interesting. I look forward to the Knuckle Duster deck. That's going to be cool. The Rogue Composure is Moxie. Wow, it's a little puppy. It's so cute. It's a one cost, one XP asset. Willpower and Agility traded. Talent Composure, the same Composure check text. Those two free triggers. So fast, limit one Composure in play. Non-direct horror must be assigned to Moxie before it can be assigned to investigate a card. You can do a free trigger and a resource for willpower or a free trigger and a resource for agility. So one thing I was wondering about Composures was whether they would be like the permanent talents. So boost different skills in different ways. So Streetwise is uh, two resources for plus three. Higher education is one for two, but you need five cards. It seems like they've not gone for that. These are cleaving more closely to the core set skill boosting talents but it's giving us a really interesting range so moxie doesn't boost combat which means if you're a rogue and you want to rely on rogue cards for combat boosts you're going to have to go with hard knocks hard knocks combat and agility moxie willpower and agility streetwise intellect and agility so you can boost everything with them but yeah that's the way to go i immediately think that skids probably loves this for the willpower boost. One cost and fast is way better than taking physical training. I think an evasion Jenny could love this as well, rather than taking physical training, but you miss out on the combat boost. But then of course, Sephina, her two strong statistics are 
willpower and agility. This just purely boosts those two. So if you're playing a spell-slinging Sephina and relying on willpower for damage and maybe even for investigation, great. And I've also had quite a lot of fun playing an evasion Sephina, you know, repeating sneak attack, things like that. This provides you with a way of boosting that agility for those evasion tests and also boosting your agility for lockpicks if, if you want to use lockpicks as a way of boosting your intellect. Cool. I like it. I'm interested to try it. On to... Oh, snap! It's a patron! Wow, okay, on to Mystic, and we've got our first patron, a pack early. This is a two-cost asset. It's David Renfield, esteemed eschatologist. Eschatology is the study of the end, right? Eschatos, end, end time, can be used as a synonym for death. Eschatology is, yeah, studying how things might end. Wicked Art, it's a guy in a really, it looks like where I work, He's got a chalkboard in the background and kind of pile of books. It has one solitary intellect icon. Ally and patron traded. Takes up the slot. He has two health and one sanity. While David Renfield has at least one doom on him, you get plus one willpower. Exhaust David Renfield. You may place one doom on David Renfield. Gain one resource for each doom on David Renfield. Blimey. At a pinch, you've played David Renfield, and he's just sitting around on your in your play area. And because it's a free trigger to exhaust him and place a doom on him, you can wait until you suddenly need that willpower boost that turns on once he has doom. And then you're like, okay, I'm going into this big fight. Now I exhaust him and put a doom on him, and I fight, fight, fight. And I get a resource for doing that, which is no bad thing. And then you let him be killed off either by taking horror from shriveling or by damage from enemies that you don't quite kill or something like that, immediately obviously assuming sort of the, the mystic route for that. What a weird ability. How many resources can you get from David Renfield? If you're in Where Doom Awaits, do you push it and go up to four or five and then either kill him off or clear it off with a Moonlight Ritual? What I love about this is that this is a reminder of the fact that all mystic allies like to play with Doom. You've got Arcane Initiate that enters play with a Doom and has a free trigger. You've got Elisa who uses Doom to get rid of cards. And now you've got David Renfield. You could have a sort of investigative mystic who runs Charisma, Elisa, and David. And yeah, can boost willpower and intellect that way. That could be kind of cool. Does any of the Dunwich investigators want a plus one willpower boost? spell-slinging Ashcan Pete. The thing is, if you're going to clear the Doom away, so unless it's the Witching Hour, that means you're going to need to run Moonlight Witchel or rely on a way of killing him, either from an enemy or some card that gives you horror or damage, which is probably Mystic Card. And that means you're essentially committing quite a lot of resources to that plan. So I can see him maybe flit fitting in... Oh, just had a thought... What about him in, in Sephina? Kind of cool for the willpower. You could painted world your moonlight rituals to keep clearing him. It's an interesting one because of static boosts, I think I'd always prefer an intellect or a combat static boost because they're the ones that help me advance the act normally the most. Apart from if you're playing Mystic when you might want a willpower boost because your willpower is acting in place of all of those other statistics. 
Essentially, I just think the art looks so good on this card that I want to find a way to play it. And I think that's a good good thing about card games. Okay, the Mystic Composure. Grounded. It's a one-cost asset, one XP. Only a single willpower icon. Matt Newman, you sly dog. I just at Moxie said, oh, look, they're all all, um, templated exactly the same way. And now we get to one that isn't. Single willpower icon. Amazing art from Illich Enriquez. Fast. Limit one composure in play, which is the same. Non-direct horror must be assigned to grounded before it can be assigned to your investigator card, which is the same. And it has one sanity. Then there's only one free trigger. Listener, this is so exciting. During a skill test on a spell card, spend one resource, you get plus one skill value for this test. So potentially it's just plus one willpower. But if we ever see spells that test a non-willpower statistic, this still works for them. It's a little bit like the um, Spirit of Thame that you can exhaust and get plus two for your test. Would you ever want Grounded instead of Spirit of Thame? Well, this one you don't have to resource, so you could exhaust, so you could chuck in loads of resources if you wanted to, which is kind of cool. The art is amazing. It's an Elder Sign on a tombstone or some kind of stone, and what looks like a, a, a Buddhist monk or some kind of monk in a beautiful rose robe sitting in the shadow of a mountain really nice okay so this grounded is really interesting because it's it's specifically spell based so i can't immediately see well spell slinging daisy might want it yeah might love it spell slinging sephina might love it but you need your spell cards for it to be worthwhile if this was say willpower and intellect or willpower and even agility you could still be using it for things like dealing with the encounter deck. So you get hit by a rotting remains, you can still boost, but it doesn't allow you to do that. So it's providing less general flexibility and utility, and it's much more specifically like your spell heavy. And Akachi that's running two Shrivelings, two Right of Seekings, maybe Alchemical Transmutation as her resource card, maybe Blinding Light as well, because she's really leaning heavily into spells. She might love this. Yeah. I can see a rich Akachi being really grounded. Cool card. I like it. Okay, we're through to the seek the survivors. Always say seekers. What the? Wow. Oh my word. I've my eye immediately. Okay, brace yourself. This is cherished keepsake, and the art by Robert Lasky is of a teddy bear on a bed in what looks like a sort of a dormitory. I'm going to guess an orphanage. And you'll see why in a second. It's a zero-cost asset. A solitary willpower icon. It's item and charm traded. It takes up the accessory slot, which in Survivor, we like Rabbit's Foot in that slot. We like Wendy's Amulet in that slot. Flavor text. Mr. Porterson always told Wendy things that would turn out okay. But then again, Mr. Porterson was a teddy bear. He didn't know any better. Game text, none. This is just a two horror, zero cost asset that takes the accessory slot. So is this, this is leather coat, right? But it's rather than it's the body slot, it's the accessory slot. And it just is a two horror soak that goes away again. Yeah. Okay, cool. As Yorick? <laughs> wow. As Yorick, if you don't want to run Peter Sylvester, 
You can run Beat Cop and get that combat boost. And then when you kill things, you can recycle your cherished keepsakes. Why Yorick is playing with Wendy's teddy bear, I don't know. And maybe she gave it to him to, for good luck. And you can recycle your leather coats. Okay, interesting. Good. The big question is Survivor can run Peter Sylvester. And he is a recurring sanity protection at three cost and provides other benefits. Agility, obviously, and the, the leveled up one is willpower as well. So maybe that's not as useful. If you wanted to run Dr. Milan in Ashcan Pete, and you wanted some kind of horror protection as well, because Ashcan Pete can be a little bit susceptible to that, although he can put horror on Duke as well, this might be a really useful thing. If you're doing that kind of scavenging Ashcan Pete build, you can scavenge back this because it's item traded. That could be fun. Who else can take survivor cards? Agnes can. This competes with Holy Rosary for the slot. Can you imagine a relic hunter Agnes with Holy Rosary, Rabbit's Foot, and Cherished Keepsake? And she's just like chucking all of them down. She's just sort of mad trinket hunter. That could be kind of fun to try out. Uh, who else can take survivor cards? Min can take this. I'm not sure if Min's that bothered about it. A scavenging Min, maybe. Chucking this as a willpower icon gets double double icons and gets a wild icon as well so it's a plus two it's the equivalent of the guts okay interesting the next card is plucky yay plucky we've seen this one already this is uh has willpower and intellect icons it's a one cost asset one xp it's talent and composure fast limit one composure and play non-direct horror must be assigned to plucky before it can be assigned to your investigator card which we knew and it's got two free triggers spend a resource you get plus one willpower you get plus one intellect for this skill test the art is what looks like sort of eldritch eyes lurking in a destroyed side of a barn and it's a woman in a blue dress with a shotgun a rifle probably a rifle about to pop a cap in its ass. Great art, Danny Hartle. This I love, and the reason I love it is that this shows that Survivor should be the game's all-rounders. This combined with Scrapper means that you can boost all four of a Survivor's statistics for 4 XP, 5 XP, if you take two of these, which is just great. It's just that we're well-rounded, we're not going to have any gaps in what we can or can't boost, which I really like. Obviously, for almost every investigator, you can dip into other pools apart from Akachi and Mark Harrigan. So you can fill out the gaps that you can't get from your prime colour, as it were. But I'd like that Survivor can almost not do that and stick to their colour and they can get everything they need. So, yeah, Wendy can run Plucky and Scrapper and she's kind of covered. She could also run Plucky and... or Scrapper and Moxie. I don't know if she wants to do that. More more agility boosts, I suppose. But yeah, this, this just fills things out. I think if the patrons are all about resources and about you getting cards cheaper, the question that we're going to have in Carcosa is what do you spend your resources on? And the composures are one answer to that question. You spend a little bit of experience on them and they're always going to be options that you invest in boosting to pass tests. Working out how much you want to boost, working out at what level, what sort of economy your deck runs on is always going to be an interesting challenge. But yeah, potentially they could see a lot of play as a sort of useful upgrade for I'm not playing a specific skill-boosting talent deck in Jenny, but more investigators are now rich enough that yes, I'll invest in you know one of these and if I need it, I'll drop it down. And it's not, it's going to cost you a solitary resource to get down. It's not even going to cost you an action. 
which is great. And as long as you can manage your horror well, you're golden. Okay, we've got some neutral cards, and these, I think, are the desperate cards. The one that we know about suggested that you had to be on very low sanity for it to, to work. So let's see if they're all the same. Wow, Say Your Prayers is the first one. It's a skill, neutral skill. Four willpower icons. Max one committed per skill test. It's desperate. Commit to a skill test only if you have three or fewer remaining sanity for willpower. What I'm going to do, in fact, is I'm going to read all four of these, because I think there are four, and then we can talk about them as a group. So that's Say Your Prayers. That's the willpower one. Desperate Search for intellect icons. Max one committed per skill test. Commit to a skill test only if you have three three or fewer remaining sanity. Nice. Reckless Assault has a guy with a blooming trident charging a beast thing for combat icons. Commit to a skill test only if you have three or fewer remaining sanity. And then finally run for your life, which is the agility one. Max one commits to test. Commit to a skill test only if you have three or fewer remaining sanity. I remember some people in the community being a little bit lukewarm about these cards when they, well, certainly when Run For Your Life was revealed. Who wants to be running at having only three or fewer sanity remaining? And I definitely at first agreed with that and thought you're really, it's a dead card in your deck until you've taken the horror, which means if you draw it early, it's a waste of a card. And unlike the the two icon skill boosts, it's kind of useless. And then also you might get to that horror point and it not be enough to help you. You can still fail tests even if you give yourself a plus four, which is kind of annoying. But I've come around more to the idea, particularly in Carcosa, where we've seen horror being thrown around even more liberally than we did in Dunwich, that for some investigators, it's quite easy to get down to three or fewer remaining sanity. Take, for instance, Mark Harrigan. His weakness can give him horror. Even if it only gives you one horror, then you're already only at four. And there are plenty of other ways that you can take horror, whether that's a rotting remains test, which we've seen in Curtain Call, or there are various enemies that provide horror. There are various effects on enemies that aren't necessarily attacks, but are still providing horror. And I can see that that second sort of ping of horror, meaning suddenly these cards are all great in, say, Mark Harrigan or Roland. I even know, I think Peter said in the previous episode, he actually got eliminated playing recently because he'd forgotten about how easy it was to die as Guardian when you have such a tiny horror pool. If you're playing as Daisy, say, or Rex or Sephina with this nine sanity pool... Definitely the inclusion of these cards is a lot more risky because getting down to that point, even if you're playing Spell Slinging Daisy and taking horror from Shriveling or whatever else it is, you might never, and, and Necronomicon giving you horror, you might never get to that point. And they're, they're just dead cards. And there are some investigators who have really good ways of mitigating horror, whether that's Brother Xavier or Peter Sylvester or things like that, where you're really thinking quite carefully about what horror you're taking. I suppose the other thing is, if you're playing even someone like Akachi, say, if you've got Elisa Graham and Holy Rosary down, you're actually, you've got lots of places to put your horror, and it's almost always better to not put the horror on you, because why not just make sure that you're as healthy as possible, and if you lose those assets, they're also taking the horror that they've taken with them, and that's a good thing. And these cards say, no, 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 take all the horror you take on yourself, 
and then put things on your assets later on once you've turned on using your desperate skill cards. And I think that's going to be a really fascinating strategy if it's one that actually has any legs to see whether it's worth, yeah, committing to going nearly mad. Of course, three or fewer, that's in dangerous rotting remains territory. You know, it's a, it's one unlucky test and you're out. And I think I'd always prefer to play on the safe side. Maybe on harder difficulties when it's harder to avoid things like that happening, these become use- more useful and they give you such a boost that if you really want to be four above for a test, you can do it with these. The other thing worth noting is unlike the neutral skills in the core set, they don't allow you to draw a card. And, you know, card draw isn't always vital, but one of the strengths, one of the reasons why those neutral skill cards are so useful is that even a deck with no other card draw, you at least get the card draw from the six or eight of those skills that you take. So, yeah. In conclusion, what a great first pack. Some really interesting cards. I really can't wait to try them out. Heroic Rescue there at the top of the pile. Fascinating. And yeah, really cool. Really sort of firm foundation for the cycle. And looking forward to doing the rest of the packs. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm you, you know how. I always appreciate messages. These are weird episodes to do solo. So yeah, uh, let me know what you think. And speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.